house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. have ahead of us the privilege of publishing the very last issue of Life magazine. Jumping up and down the floor. And for the final issue, we just received a negative 25 from Sean O'Connell for the cover. It's 25. It's not there. I know. Look what I found! What's that? Travel journal dad gave me. Hey! Hey! How was your weekend? I had an awesome weekend. The ice, Jace. She moves like a woman. I'd like to climb your hair. Oh, wow. What is it you call it when he goes into one of his little places? Oh, zoned out. You do that now and then. What's the matter? I lost a picture. I like mysteries. You should go. Crack the case. You were Sean's partner. He finishes work. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast waiting an entire hour for Beyonce to show up in this Adrian Brody movie. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am okay. How are you handling the great crisis of our time? That oh god, is what is that? The absolute uh, like travesty that has happened to Box Office Mojo. <gasps> okay, it's the worst thing that's ever happened. It is goddamn hideous. It is also like fully inaccessible. At this point, it's so difficult to get to just basic information I've, that we would use, like, this podcast for. I don't generally write about the financial side of Hollywood. I don't need that to work, really. All I really need... I need such limited stuff out of Box Office Mojo. I need to see what movies opened on what weekend. I need to see, like, the entire, like, release schedule for that weekend and how, you know, movies did. And that's basically it. And, like, to make it so hard where I still haven't figured out what I have to do to get that information, and to wrap it up in this whole, like, hideous IMDb Pro. Yeah, it's scene, also just butt ugly. Let's just it just feels like I've been on, like, a, a years-long con, right? Where all of a sudden now the rug's being yanked out from under me, and now I have to subscribe to IMDb Pro. They've really like baited that hook so well. Oh, it's so stupid. Well, and it. a lot of a lot of the like stat information is hiding behind a paywall now. So, congrats, y'all. You're trying to get our money. It's so stupid. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, somebody fix it. Literally, all some. Literally, if somebody came fix out it, right Steve. now, <laughs> fucking real for real. Get get what's her name? What is her name? Fix it. What the. It, Steve. Take it easy. Fix it, or I quit. How about that? I quit, and you never see me again. How about that? She says an assemblage of scarves. Yes. 
a real life assemblage of scarves. Um, no, if anybody came out like today with a site that just did all the things that Box Office Mojo did with like none of the none of the frills or whatever, they would like get a flood of traffic to them right now. Yeah, like, like just literally carbon copy what they used to have. And it's all public fine. information. You know what I mean? It's not like it's, pro- it's uh, proprietary information. Anyway, collective Steves of the world, fix it. Also, that was Joanna Hoffman that we were talking about. That's what her name was. God bless her. Her accent was real. Um, Fantastic. She's busy now working wherever she wants. Um, all of this is to say that the movie we're talking about this week did not make its budget back in uh, domestic ticket sales. It did eventually worldwide because for some reason the globe-trotting adventures of this protagonist appealed to. A worldwide audience. I'm trying to um, find the global uh, 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 box office, but because it is so interminable, it is very difficult to do so. It is the first um, sneaker commercial turned into a feature film that I can recall. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, don't you really also trying to mean sell you it's something. the first sneaker commercial that's also a Papa John's commercial? That is also a Cinnabon commercial. That is also an eHarmony commercial. It is the most... I remember I was working at um, The Atlantic when this came out. I was pretty new at my job at The Atlantic. And that was a thing we did where it was just like I wanted to, I wanted to have somebody go and... Because I saw this when it premiered at... Um, New York Film Festival. I wanted somebody to go in and tally up every bit of product placement in this movie because it was a considerable and b like always managed to like intrude into the actual story. Like you couldn't if you for some reason had to like censor out all product placement messages in this movie, you wouldn't be able to tell the story really because a lot of like the emotional story of like him and. And, you know, his mother, played by Shirley MacLaine. We're talking about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, by the way. I should yeah. mention. <laughs> uh, the movie we're discussing is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, but you know that. The you Secret Life of Walter Mitty, semicolon, Papa John's Adventure. <laughs> um, it's like the Great Valley Adventure from uh, The Land Before Time, but it's Papa John's. It's yeah. not as good as the Great Chipmunk Adventure. Um, no. I will say, okay, so you are totally right that it's like you maybe couldn't understand whole chunks of the movie without product placement because Papa John's the one that I keep dunking on because screw them and their moat pizza. Um, But, like, Papa John's is part of the plot or part of Walter's backstory. As is eHarmony. Like, the eHarmony guy is the guy who bails him out of, like, whatever, customs. It's On his way back from the Himalayas. Yeah, because this is a movie where you can apparently just go to Afghanistan. Um, this is my biggest problem with this movie: is this movie's this movie's uh, emotional crux lies on this idea that you can just go and do all the stuff that Ben Stiller's character is doing in this movie. Ben Stiller's character his name's Walter Mitty. It's in the fucking title, idiot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm having a morning, you guys. Um, but it's like. You can't just... I, I love that this movie seems to have this idea that just, like, all you need is a change in attitude. All you need is just the will to, to go up into these mountains and to go, you know, race this volcano in Yeah, Greenland, like, forget really how much Iceland. money it costs. How much money do you think an archivist for Life magazine would have made that he could have just Not saved bad. this to just, like, go... 
No, it makes sense. Like, the beginning of the movie makes sense. He's an archivist for Life magazine. He lives up in Harlem. He lives, like, two subway stops away from me. Like, that that all stuff makes sense. You know, they play up the sort of, like, you know, drudgery of his life because that's the whole point of the movie is that it needs to be, like, overcome. But it's... All right, let's stick a pin in that. We want to say, we're talking about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It was directed by Ben Stiller. It was written by, I mean, we'll go into the production history of it, but it was written by uh, Steve Steve Conrad, adapted from the short story by James Thurber, starring Ben Stiller, Kristen Wiig, Adam Scott, Adam Scott's whack-ass beard. Like, we yeah. can talk about that, too. He looks like Terrence Stamp in Superman 2. <laughs> he looks like Hulk Hogan after he went bad in WCW and, like, spray-painted his beard on. You might not get that as a wrestling reference, but, like, maybe two people out there will. If you're a part of the Venn diagram <laughs> that gets this had Oscar buzz and, like, late 90s wrestling references, he just, like, spray-painted on a beard when he went bad to, like, signify that he was bad. And it's just, like, that sort of was what this looks like. It made me... It was very Ron Popeil-esque, this beard, from Adam Scott. I really just, like, could picture a spray paint... A spray can in his hand. It did not seem like his own follicular... No, uh, it didn't. Did not. Um, Shirley MacLaine, Catherine Hahn, two actresses I had fully forgotten were in this movie... Um, Patton Oswalt as the voice on the phone, eventually he shows up, and then Sean Penn as, like, um, integrity personified, like, it's such a right. weird Sean thing. Penn as Sean Penn, uh, after an anger management class, um, <laughs> yeah. the Sean yeah. Penn, we'll get into it, but, like, the Sean Penn bit could have been funny, but, like, sure, it's but it wasn't. so seriously. Yeah. This premiered on Christmas Day, December 25th, 2013, after having its world premiere at the New York Film Festival on October 5th of that year. That is where I saw it. It was the least well-behaved critic screening I've ever been to in my entire life. Wow. As I think I may have mentioned before. It was just like... (laughs) There was... So this was at... um, So New York Film Festival generally does their critic screenings um, the morning of the premiere of the of the movie at the Walter Like the Reed. gala movies, at least, right? Right, right. Well, no, like... even this just was like their a, centerpiece. This was their centerpiece. But just like just most wild. of... If you're a critic, you have a, you know, whatever, media pass to cover New York Film Festival, you show up at the Walter Reed Theater, which is at Lincoln Center, and, you know, you basically just sort of, like, camp out there, and it screens, and sometimes it shows at the smaller theater across the street if you're, if you're screening smaller movies... And then you have your big sort of galas, and sometimes if they're big enough, they will screen those for the press at the uh, AMC Lincoln Square, which is sort of across the street. And that's where, like, Gone Girl, I remember that premiere was over there, and a couple others. So Secret Life of Walter Mitty definitely was. Um, And so we all sort of, like, lined up outside of the theater and walked in, and... Normally, that's when you have just, like, regular press screenings there, or, like, junkets or whatever. Or even just, like, junkets with, like, a lot of just, like, um, like, uh, whatever, free pass holders, like, just from the public, that they want to, like, fill in the junkets with the public to just get a mix of reaction or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. Decently well-behaved crowd, you know what I mean? A little bit unruly. Big, you know, crowds of people generally are, but it's fine. This one had, like, New York Film Festival press, so it was just, like, a lot of people who just, like, don't cover movies on a day-to-day basis, but, like, every year will go and use their sort of, like, you know, doyen status 
to get into these critic screenings. And this one was just like popcorn coating the aisles, just sort of just like <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, just like snacks everywhere. Um, just sh- people brought in all their stuff and just like bags in the aisles and whatnot. I saw no fewer than three people try to take like a coat and a bag off of a seat and move it somewhere else to take that seat. <laughs> it was like freaking Thunderdome in there. It was 100% wild. And I remember just like watching this all unfold in front of me. And I was just like, this is like Upper East Side, like landed gentry. Like, I don't quite understand how anybody has a leg to stand on in terms of just like manners or like <laughs> society like what is happening when i'm watching everything about new york city society devolve over this secret life of walter mitty yeah, like holy this, like, crap wet blanket is bad and then so immediately after the movie then cuz i remember this the other thing we need to talk about is this had one of the best trailers of 2013 like it really really had Thank you to that Monsters and Men song, which I'm sure whatever trailer clip you cut will include that damn song. I love Monsters and Men, but like the music in this movie, before we get into the 60 second plot description, is like, I'm not a regular dad, I'm a cool dad type music. The fact that they use Arcade Fire before they get to Monsters and Men because it's like because Arcade Fire was the one um, earlier than that where it's just like I you know how terrible I am with new music right where it's just like I knew that Arcade Fire was a thing but I never really listened to Arcade Fire until the Where the Wild Things Are trailer came out and like ditto Monsters and Men with this movie for sure but it's all like part that's all part and parcel of you write that very same kind of I'm not going to be the guy to like make fun of Mumford and Sons because just like I like that music. Whatever. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> I mean, like, again, I like some of the music in this movie, but it is very much like it seems it's cool like dad, Ben right. Stiller is like a cool dad directing this movie. So much know. of this movie feels like you're watching Ben Stiller's Midlife Crisis in like a lot of different ways. In terms, uh, including the fact that this is his one movie that he's ever directed that seems that has like made a play for Oscar. And this one feels like it was, like, straining for Oscar credibility in a lot of different ways. Ah, yeah. 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 So, before we get into the substantive issues of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Chris, would you like to grace us with 60 seconds worth of a plot description for this film? Totally. Great. Good. Let me just set up my phone. Um, A lot happens in this movie, I will say. Yeah. But... I trust you. All right, are you ready? Yeah. All right, Secret Life of Walter Mitty in 60 seconds, starting now. All right, Ben Siller plays Walter Mitty. He um, basically processes photo negatives at Life Magazine as Life Magazine is about to transition to go online and they are going to shut down. However, there's like this amazing photojournalist named Sean O'Connell, played by Sean Penn, that um, he has like a 
letter relation, like letters back and forth that he because he processes all of his work. But Sean Penn is supposed to have the cover of the final Life magazine, and the photo does not show up in the uh, like kit that he sends Ben Stiller. Um, meanwhile, uh, Walter is also in love with his coworker named Cheryl, played by Kristen Wiig. Um, it's a little creepy because she just started working there. Why are you trying to date your coworker? Um, and then Adam Scott seconds, is sorry. like. Oh, 15 seconds? Shit. I'll give um, you another Ad- 10. You got Adam Scott seconds, is in charge of, like, the takeover of Life magazine that's, like, pushing everybody out, and he has a beard, and, like, they are very villainous. But meanwhile, Ben uh, Walter Mitty has a very active imagination, and he, like, rather than, like, being a person and taking care of his business, he, like, fantasizes about how he could be, like, stronger or more, like, uh, uh, more of a Lothario, more Five of a, um, a troublesome guy. But anyway, he goes around the world to find Sean O'Connell to get that final negative um including going to like iceland and afghanistan and all these places all these places and eventually he finds that the photo was in the wallet that sean also sent him and it is a photo photo of walter it the movie plays around with this idea that like sean is this omniscient uh benevolent sort of godlike figure in Ben Stiller's life who set him on this wild goose chase knowing that it would um, bring him out of his shell and then like acts very aloof about it when Ben Stiller does track him down in the uh, Afghan Himalayas. Yeah. Um, Photographing like, uh, like oh, bobcats or not bobcats, but like snow leopards. Snow leopards or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the movie never really quite pulls the trigger on it, which I guess is like, I don't know if making that overt would have made it any better, but it does feel like the movie being very coy in a sort of like annoying way. Because the grand sense in this movie, like the overarching sensibility in this movie, is just this divine like hand of God pushing the action forward and pushing Walter Mitty from, like, place to place. Like, you never get mm-hmm. the sense that this is coming from him. And maybe it's because Stiller plays him as so aloof and so sort of, like, it's blowing a in the wind. performance. It's just, like, there's not a whole lot of fire in that belly, which is, like, part of the character. But it still feels like by the time you get to him at the end, there doesn't seem to be a ton of will there. And motivation there even when he's like hiking the himalayas and whatever like you see a little bit when like they track it weirdly through the recurring phone calls from Patton oswald at eHarmony. we're like yeah at the beginning stiller is sort of really hapless with him and sort of feels judged by the fact that this guy's like you don't have any life experiences in your profile and whatever and and stiller doesn't really you know know how to account for himself and then as the movie goes along he gets more like confident with this guy and then finally is just sort of like i can't talk right now i've got stuff to do but like it yeah, still feels like out of a helicopter right it still feels like the movie is moving him and he's not moving the film and yeah i don't know it's There's just like truly it kills... not a whole lot of character growth it's just that things happen to him and then eventually yeah. he like talks to the girl at the, when he comes home you know it's like 
Even when it's, he's just like he's home and like Shirley MacLaine's like Sean dropped off a thing for you, and it's just like, are you all in some weird elaborate synecdoche New York situation with him where you're just sort of like <laughs> like creating this like world for him and like moving things behind the scenes, and I don't know, it just all felt or like a Truman Show situation. Something. I mean, some of it is it has this really. It, one of the problems is it has a really undefined sense of like magical realism. Like, what yeah. is truly the magic that is going on? Like, and the movie can't really decide how real it wants to be. And like, some of that is dictated by his active fantasy life, where he can like. Uh, what are some of even the fantasies that happen? Like, he imagines Cheryl showing up singing karaoke to him, and, like, that's what gets him on a helicopter. Right. Well, even in, like, the opening credits, where he imagines himself, like, rappelling into a building that um, is about to, like, blow up from a gas explosion and saving Cheryl's dog and whatnot. Yeah, but he imagines... Right, he imagines the karaoke situation. He imagines he imagines telling off Adam Scott, his boss. Right, um, he imagines him and Adam Scott having this like chase sequence all over Midtown, um, which felt very like Scott Pilgrim versus the World to me, actually. Right. Um, it just it, I like first of all, I thought that we might be duped, and I haven't seen the original movie, which I think is Danny Kay. Um, I. I felt like we were about to be duped and tricked into, like, the whole thing being a fantasy. And, like, he doesn't have to go on this whole journey to, you know, end up standing up for himself. Right. Um, Because it's just the movie can't really figure out how much of real life is supposed to be magical. Right. And it's like, without some of those song cues, it's like, look at these pretty mountains. But it's not. And without a better performance from Ben Stiller that kind of draws out any kind of characteristics that you can see growth happening. Yeah. And also, and not to like lean on this too heavily because I don't think this is a movie that needs to have, um, you know, a a symposium on its global bona fides or whatever. But, um, there's a lot in this movie of like Walter Mitty getting, a blessing from a you know indigenous population here or like yeah and it's just like our <laughs> it felt like um someone trying to get cool points for having for being friends with the exchange student in like senior year or whatever and it's just sort of just like this like this um adjacency to global identities doesn't make you yourself a global citizen you know what i mean it's just like i don't know it's just like i'm skateboarding with these people in you know greenland or whatever and it's just like okay like that's good for you and just like the parts where like he's like training to like climb the himalayas and he's getting sort of just like you know bopped with branches or whatever from these people and he's like you know giving them clementine cake and whatnot um moving through the like very dangerous kind of warlord infested uh uh, un what are, what is what are, how do they refer to that area of Afghanistan like ungoverned Afghanistan like, something Ooh. yeah it's just I don't know it's like the concept of it is already so absurd and like you mentioned the we kind of talked about the finances of it that it's like oh yes this is a movie where we are supposed to buy that this man just drops everything and leaves his job yeah. To, 
like jet set around the world like to green to like to these really remote places and back and yeah you're right and so so little of it feels like and i mean i love Kristen wig as you know but like i don't think that on-screen relationship is strong enough to feel like it's driving much of anything i no, think the most they don't have romantic chemistry Cheryl is like kind of a non-entity. Like, there's a whole. She scene doesn't that exist when Stiller's not when for, Lady's not around. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, she. There's a whole scene that is only there so that Kristen Wiig can say Papa John's three times. <laughs> totally true. Um, I guess yeah. my goal is to say Papa John's in this episode more than they do in the movie, and I'm maybe halfway there. I'm just gonna fantasize about having a Cinnabon when this is over, and we'll be uh, we'll be totally good. Um, which would mean I would have to like go all the way down to like Penn Station, which no, thank you. Um, <laughs> it is raining. Um, no, I think the most uh, dynamic character, the parts where the movie feels the most present, weirdly, are the Adam Scott scenes. And even yeah. in that, he's played this character in so many other movies. Like, it's once Catherine Hahn shows up in this movie, I'm like, oh, right. Like, weird, like, odd stepbrothers reunion, where that was another movie where Adam Scott played, like, this guy. And he's so good at playing this particular flavor of an asshole. It's one of those things where it's just like, do I start, like, worrying about what you might be like in real life? Because you're so, so, so good at playing this particular flavor of Um, jerk. Or, like, do you have to be... Do you have to be... Um, a self-aware good person to be able to pinpoint that. Like, I, I'm, I'm of two minds on that, right? Um, but it's... I mean, I think of this movie, I think of Step Brothers, I think of... Um, shit, there was a third one. Second and, like, season of Big Little Lies. Well, that's why he second season, has a beard. That's why the second season of Big Little Lies, he's a lot more interesting, because it's just sort of like, oh, right, like, or I mean, maybe interesting is the wrong word, like, but he feels a lot more at home in the second season of Big Little Lies, right. because, like, you are back to, um, oh, The Good Place is the other one, where he plays literally, like, the embodiment of evil and villainy and um, in that movie, but he's such a natural just asshole but the other thing is so fast forward to the end of this movie and stiller goes on his whole sort of like quest or whatever to become a more adventurous human being and he comes back to to time life and he's got the frame and he hands it over and he's the other thing is this like this great lost like photograph that's supposed to be on the cover of the last print edition of life magazine which i do want to get into that whole thing of like this elegy for the print industry and then so it turns out that this photo which is said to be the quintessence of life like the quintessence of we think it's to be like life magazine but also just like the pun is intentional and like the quintessence of like life and that's what how sean describes his own photo and it ends up being a photo of Walter doing his job in black and white. Stupid. But it's so also, it's just like, it's so self aggrandizing. Like, it's insane that we go through this entire movie, and the moral of the story is people should have appreciated, like, Walter Mitty more. Like, it's. It's every. Especially that final photo being of Walter, which of course we know will be of Walter because it's just like everything in this 
the movie just goes to like serve to bolster Walter to the extent that like all the characters around him except for maybe Adam Scott are just like empty vessels for what the movie needs them to be. This is why I kept thinking of Truman Show where I was just like wow like everybody exists only when he's around. And they don't exist. Like, I don't get a sense that anybody, even, you know, beautiful Catherine Hahn, whose, like, story is that she's auditioning for Rizzo in this um, community theater. In, like, theater a community theater. Yeah. She's, like, this, like, not great actress who has to work and in, <laughs> like, church grease. She has um, that great line early on where she's, like, where where Walter doesn't know what she's saying when she's like Rizzo, she's like Rizzo, she's tough and tender. And and then that line comes back again where like then Walter describes it. But the other thing with um I wanted to mention with the end of the movie and with Adam Scott where like Walter finally like tells off Adam Scott and ultimately he like his last words to him are just uh I know you're here to like do a job and like do what you got to do and like do what you do it do your job and do what you got to do is like dismantling um this this you know place of business and firing all these people right yeah um and he's like but you, you don't have to be such a dick about it and it's like that and I hate reducing it to this but like that feels like the bad kind of liberalism that we're sort of like getting slapped in the face with now in 2019 which is the actual underpinnings, the actual, like, economic underpinnings of what's happening here in terms of, like, downsizing and getting rid of jobs and and all that's fine because that's the way it is. But just don't be a dick about it. And it's just sort of like, oh, like, as long as this had a happy face on it, this would have been better. Like, I don't understand what, yeah, kind, of, what kind of moral stance this movie's trying to take. people en masse. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. I mean... That, like, this just, movie it just hit does me not wrong. have a lot to like hang your hat on, which is kind of why. But it thinks it keeps it keeps thinking it does. It keeps oh, this movie it has a lot absolutely to hang your head like on. wondrous and has like it makes you feel like amazement for the world and yeah. his like personal growth and right. It's the uh, the thing. Uh, I mean, like maybe this is mean to say, but it feels like such a like ego trip for lack of a better word it does on ben stiller's part it does. like it feels very much in a vacuum it is i don't know no i think you're absolutely right i think it it's empty it's really empty yes yeah everything about it feels hollow and the product placement gives like feeds into that as well um and the fact that the narrative doesn't have doesn't feel like it inhabits a world that exists outside of Walter. Like, the other thing is just, like, the world just sort of opens up for this character in a way that is so easy, and everything just sort of, like, works out. He's in, like, shark-infested waters, and it's fine. He's in, you know, he gets enveloped by a volcano, and it's fine. And he's just sort of, like, gumping his way around the world. And... Gump is probably a really good comparison for this movie i was trying to think of just like what are what movies that did well with oscar had the vibe that this movie thought it was going for and i think maybe gump is a good answer the other is that it came the year after um and of course like i mean if this thing was in production forever which i want to talk about in one second but like so maybe like it, it's tough to say that it was like taking part taking like up 
the mantle of a movie that was released the year before, but like Life of Pi felt like a little bit of an antecedent to this as well. Life of Pi, I think, does a lot of the things that this movie thinks it's doing a lot better. Yeah. A lot better. I love Life of Pi. I think it's a really wonderful movie. And I think that movie does does a good job of taking these sort of like fantastical elements and, you know, it's too too much to be believed and this heavily taking all those elements and making them very heavily thematic in a way that doesn't feel like you've just gotten snookered. And this yeah. movie makes me feel like I've been had. Like it never stops making me feel like I'm being hustled. I would agree. I mean, uh, uh, you kind of uh, hinted at this earlier. I don't know what I'm, my takeaway is supposed to be from this movie, like because he didn't really. I mean, I guess he uses his fantasy life instead to be, um, to like instead of internalizing, he actually uses his fantasy life to, you know, actually become a person. But does he though? Like that's yeah. what the movie wants me to believe. Yeah. It's 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 it doesn't make the case for itself very well. But the thing the thing about Stiller and you mentioned sort of like the the kind of egoness of it. It this project was in development since at least um I mean this is this the is 90s. Re- right. I mean like this is a remake of an older movie so like Samuel Goldman Company has had the rights for this movie forever but like this particular remake of it had been in the works since the ni- the early 90s and mm-hmm. with the with, with the one exception for, for for a little bit there it looked like it was going to be made by um Owen Wilson and Mark Waters and that is the only time that it wasn't in the that they weren't going to cast Walter Mitty with this sort of with this comedic leading man who has a kind of cottage industry unto himself. Initially, it was going to be Jim Carrey, and they were going to cast him like right after that like big, huge hot run of 1994, where he's in mm-hmm. Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber and The Mask all at once. And uh, it was going to be Jim Carrey. It was for a while that it was going to be Jim Carrey directed by Ron Howard. And at some point, Spielberg gets in the mix, and Spielberg wants to work with Jim Carrey, and. I think eventually they sort of like burned through the profitable years of Jim Carrey. And then after that, for a little bit, it's going to fall into the hands of Mike Myers, who I think is another sort of comedic auteur whose movies feel very closed loop. Like that, his Mm -hmm. stuff doesn't seem to touch anything in the entertainment industry around it. He's his own his own little island there. And then in 2010, it was going to be made by Sasha with Sasha Baron Cohen in the lead, who was another one who was sort of his own little island to himself. That one was going to be directed by Gore Verbinski for a time. So there's a lot of like interesting Wild. what ifs of this movie's production history. So then it eventually falls to Stiller. Stiller's another one who does this actor director thing in comedy semi-often this was his what fifth movie sixth movie let me look up how many he's actually directed but like i don't know what do you make of that any of those like any of those what if scenarios i'm struggling to remember what um uh, what episode we talked about this but this is one of those things where it's like the buzz builds because it's been passed around by so i mean a obviously the original um but the the project gets passed over to so many huge names, including like, like you mentioned Spielberg names that instantly, regardless of what they're developing, 
like Oscar comes into the conversation. Maybe that's not true for these comedic actors, but definitely because this has a dramatic bent, and it's like it's that thing that it's uh, super. And maybe this is like spearheaded by Jim Carrey when we have these type of conversations where it's like comedic actor doing something more dramatic, right? And and then you wonder: is this going to be? the sort of the 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 movie where they're doing something just substantive enough that it gives um you know it gives the Oscar voters enough snob appeal cover to be able to vote for them. Do you know what I mean? The sort uh, of absolutely. the classically comedy averse Oscar voters. Yeah, I think that's right. This was by the way his it was his fifth movie directing. He had directed Reality Bites, The Cable Guy, Zoolander, Tropic Thunder, which did get on Oscar radar with Robert Downey Robert Jr. Downey as a supporting actor performance. So maybe that was that felt like, oh, we are, you know, we got our foot in the door, and now that the foot's in the door, this, um, you know, Walter Mitty, because like it's no accident that Walter Mitty was the centerpiece of New York Film Festival, opened on Christmas Day. Like these are the things you do with a movie. By the way, since then, um, Zoolander 2 was his sixth movie, a movie that does not exist at all. Uh, and it is also terrible. Yeah. Okay, but let's talk about the New York Film Festival thing, because, yes. like, New York, you just mentioned snob appeal, otherwise in terms of, like, making comedic actors be slightly dramatic when, like, <laughs> this movie is neither dramatic nor comedic. <laughs> right, um, right. The New York Film Festival thing... I remember that kind of being what really had, like, started Oscar conversation for this movie, aside from just, like, the general, like, long list, you know, because of what the project was. Because New York Film Festival does have a certain degree of snob appeal to it. Like, this is the centerpiece. Um, This year's centerpiece was Marriage Story. Last year's centerpiece was Roma. Right. Um, And, like, there's... It's a more like, sin-assed type of festival. Um, or at least that's, like, kind of the atmosphere. It's much more selective. It's only, like, their main selection is usually, like, what, 20, 25 films? Something like um, that, yeah. Yeah, it's so not it's as heavily big as, curated. As Toronto. yeah. And, like, that kind of, you know, aura that they carry as a festival was kind of a promise that this movie couldn't fulfill when they booked it in a major slot. And I think the year before this, I mean, speaking of Life of Pi, I think Life of Pi was the centerpiece the year before this. So, truly... Possibly. Yeah. This was also the era of... They do it less now because I feel like they they got burned by things like Walter Mitty. It's... Um, it, it they don't care as much about world premieres, but this was like right. a five-year stretch where those three galas that they do, their opener, their closer, and the centerpiece, were all trying to be world premieres. Right. This year, it opened with Captain Phillips, which was a world premiere, and then closed with Her, which was a world premiere. Right, right. Um, wasn't Social Network a New York Film Festival world world premiere? Or I not? believe so, yeah. yes. Yeah, I mean, they have, there are years, there was the one year where they did all those three Amazon Prime movies, and they were all really yeah. bad, so, like, it doesn't always work. But, um... Yeah, New York Film Festival, absolutely. Like, I think even more... I think if you get one of those three gala slots at New York... We sort of have these... You know, when we announce new movies and people are, like, incredulous and, like, that movie had Oscar buzz? And, like, 
this is one of those things where it's just like just the fact of playing New York Film Festival in one of the gala slots means you had awards buzz. Yep. Just like if you didn't before, you did now. And um yeah, there was there's, you know, d- there was every indication was that they were trying to maneuver this to be an awards player for Stiller as a director for I remember there was buzz for Kristen Wiig as a supporting actress which is just insane. Well, if you watch the movie it's <laughs> such a buzzkill for that. Like it's it's hugely a buzzkill. And yeah, I think people were high on things like the visual effects, which like the visual effects are why this movie's budget was so big. This movie mm-hmm. was like a 90 million dollar budget or whatever. And Yes, they're good. Uh, this they're they're given what this movie ends up accomplishing on an emotional and sort of like cinematic level, certain things about this movie just feel like they're throwing money down a hole. Like that whole Benjamin Button interlude that felt like um it was fulfilling the same function and not I don't mean to say it was as offensive, but like fulfilling the same function as the Simple Jack interlude in um Tropic Thunder, where it's just like, <laughs> we're going to take a pause from this movie and give you like a a film parody that feels like something that would have been written for the Ben Stiller show. Like, sometimes yeah. Ben Stiller seems to still want, like, some part of Ben Stiller seems to still want to be making the Ben Stiller show. And like, I don't blame him. The Ben Stiller show was great. Like, that was a moment in time for everybody. <sighs> I mean, like you mentioned that like Benjamin Button passage where that's clearly kind of what they're making fun of. And like it's it it at least felt like the movie trying to be funny or trying to be weird, whereas it just really goes with emotions. Otherwise, that like I was not so mad at that. And I thought that there was going to be more of that type of thing in this movie but they're it's really just kind of that and maybe the opening sequence that are a little bit more fantastical i guess or like yeah really like obvious fantasy so, yeah I, I think it would i think it would have worked better for me if there was like if it happened again you know what i mean the fact that it only happens the one time in the movie feels it just makes it feel very strange very yeah. sort of just like I don't know, out of place. But you're right that that's like at least the movie feels like it has it's trying a to confident something. pulse there at that point. So yeah, you're totally right. But yeah, I don't know. Stiller's as Stiller as an auteur feels like I don't know what we can really say about him. He seems to always. I think he's. Not always, because, like, you know, two Zoolander movies. And I still hang, you know, stand up for the first Zoolander. But it does feel like movies like Tropic Thunder, definitely The Cable Guy, like, there is an effort to transcend the genre that he's in. Mm -hmm. And to do something a little bit, in The Cable Guy's case, darker. In Tropic Thunder's case, um... I don't know, it just feels like that's, like, for a comedy, it feels like that happens on a grand scale. Like, even just, like, casting Tom Cruise and Matthew McConaughey in the roles that you cast in that movie, everything feels large in that movie. And it's interesting that that movie comes at the very beginning, like, it's the same year as Iron Man, so, like, it's right as Marvel's about to take over, where it's just, like, in that point, Tropic Thunder thought it was being a takeoff of the blockbuster 
film genre. Like, mm-hmm. this is what these, like, people trying to make this, like, blockbuster movie. And it's funny, then, that, like, at that point is when the entertainment industry's like, friend, you don't know blockbuster. And <laughs> we're just gonna, like, <laughs> go on a whole other thing. And... I think sort of in a similar way where like Secret Life of Walter Mitty just doesn't feel like it had anything in the entertainment industry to connect itself to. It just felt so out of place. I mean, that's true for like any type of thing for this movie trying to connect with anything. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, it's safe to say that the Oscar buzz pretty much died when it premiered at New York. Would you agree? Yeah, oh yeah, you could feel it, like, walking out of that movie, and, like, I don't think there was any, um... Because it's like a head-scratcher of why they even programmed it at all, to me. Well, like, it seemed in, like in, studio in positioning, because yeah. you mentioned, like, Fox, or you mentioned uh, Life of Pi was previous year, and that was Fox, this is Fox, so maybe they yeah. just tried to shove whatever movie they could into a slot... I think that's very possible. And of course, this was the year where, like, already it was shaping up as. I think that was. Um, 12 Years of Slave had already premiered at either Toronto or Venice and, like, played both of them. That year was already. was shaping up to be that and Gravity and. Yeah, it's safe to say that this is also not an Oscar year where you know they were voting on whimsy like probably the most like fantastical type of thing that you would see in this oscar lineup this year is her well yes which but is also... still pretty like you know i don't want to say morose because i do like that movie but like it's it's pretty it's not morose, but there's there's some there's melancholy there like for sure yeah. absolutely it's you know in that very spike jonesy kind of way no i would say the movie that ends up becoming the counter-programming that I think they wanted Walter Mitty to be is American Hustle. Where, like, American Hustle comes along and it's just, like, like wild. And, like, bad, but in a way where it's just, like, the badness, like, feels like it's inextricable. Listen, and, you know, you're right (laughs) to do so. I think it's a mess of a movie that has some really great performances in it that I love. Um, but I think that's the movie that at least, like, if you are worn out by heavy subject matter and somberness and whatever, go take your trip to the wig factory and... Uh, <laughs> to that hip movie that's also insane. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think... It's so, yeah, about I think, identity. What's that? I think it's an interesting movie about the mutability of our identities. Go off, honey. Um, no, I like that I, movie. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you're right in that like w- you could feel the air had left the balloon like as people were leaving that critic screening. I don't think there was much of an embargo. I think, you know, with these film festivals, they don't bother embargoing um the screenings. And no. I think immediately everybody just sort of like took to Twitter and was just like this piece of junk. Um although I remember there was it was it was not actually I shouldn't say that because there were I remember a lot of people sort of sticking up for the kind of purity of intent of the movie. I think a lot of people were able to dial into the um the vibe that I think it was going for, this sort of just like mm-hmm. adventurous like I think for people who didn't quite find it as hollow, maybe as you or I did, but I think even with those initial reactions, by the end of the year, nobody was sticking up for Walter Mitty as like, you know, which is when the movie actually opened, which is why the movie made 
No money, states. It's crazy to me that like this didn't even. It made, well, no it money, made fifty million dollars, but it made fifty million dollars at Christmas, where it's like right. I just literally, I just had the thought of what else opened at Christmas that year, and I went to go look it up on, it on is Box a Office Mojo. Of that Christmas. But like, I can't look it up on Box Office Mojo because like I don't even know where I would click on that accursed site to. Uh, on this abysmal eyesore that is the remaining corpse of Box Office Mojo. Um, okay, so let me tell you the other Christmas openers. There was The Wolf of Wall Street, which it's like... Jesus. Uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. Um, but actually, like, I feel like this is why Wolf of Wall Street did so well, because everything else is just like, what the hell is going on at the movie theater? Um, but then uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, it opened at number seven. Um, closed out at $58 million. Also opening 47 Ronin. Keanu Reeves. <laughs> All right. And Grudge what was the Match, number one? which I don't remember what this... Oh, it's a boxing movie with Stallone and De Niro. Sure, that that does not exist whatsoever in any Jesus. type of cultural lexicon. And then a Justin Bieber concert movie opened on Christmas. What was number and one bomb. that weekend? Uh... The Hobbit, Desolation of Gross. Smaug. Gross. God, I it can't was such believe. a crappy Christmas at the movies that Frozen, which was a Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving movie, movie. Yeah. was number two. Yeah. Yeah, that movie had a long tail, for sure. It did. Yikes. But like, okay. Yeah. So, um, Golden Globes completely shut it out, which I find hilarious, because it's like, obviously it must have submitted as a comedy. And... To not have any room anywhere at the Globes that year. Although that year, I should say, that was the year that like Best Actor at the Globes was stacked. That was the year that Best Actor at the Globes could have been the Oscar lineup. Best Actor, Musical or Comedy at the Globes uh, could have been the Oscar lineup. Where it was... Because um, that was the year that like all the designations of drama and comedy were insane. Yeah, Best Actor... Best Actor, Musical or Comedy at the Golden Globes for 2013. DiCaprio wins for Wolf of Wall Street, which... We should also mention this is the Golden Globes where Leonardo DiCaprio iconically said Philomania. Yes, right, when they were announcing the nominations, him and uh, Kerry Washington. Philomania. Were we ever so young? Um, You're right, Joaquin Phoenix for her. Oscar Isaac for Inside Lewin Davis would have been a great uh, Oscar nominee. Bruce Dern for Nebraska was an Oscar nominee, as was Christian Bale for American Hustle. So, yeah, the hilarious... I'm the last person who's going to make the comedy at the Golden Globes, not even a comedy, blah, blah, blah. But, like, imagine yourself sitting down to the comedy lineup of The Wolf of Wall Street, Nebraska, Inside Lewin Davis, Her, and American Hustle. <laughs> you would kill Inside yourself. Inside Lewin Davis is at least a musical, though. Is that what they would have... That's what it got in as? It got in yeah. as a musical? Yeah, it's a musical. There was... When they announced... they uh, this this Just this past week, they announced the comedy drama designations of a lot of things, and they mentioned that in recent years, the Golden Globes have been cracking down on this idea of um, a movie having a lot of music in it, making it a musical, and right. more and more, they're like, nah. Like, that's not... that. You know, well, that, Judy's that ain't it, kid. gonna be a drama. Judy's gonna be a drama. Last year, um, A Star is Born was a drama, so I think they're looking to more, more concretely draw the distinction between a movie with a lot of music in it, which 
Walk the Line. That's how, you know, uh, Joaquin and Reese both won Golden Globes for Walk the Line that year in musical or comedy. Ray. Please know that this podcast is highly endorsing the greatest musical of the year, Hustlers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Hustlers. I thought you were going for Cats. That's fine. Um, Also, actress. uh, The greatest musical of the year? We will see. It's going to be the seven greatest musicals of the year, and I will quote myself on that. Actress in a musical (laughs) or comedy in 2013 was also amazing, where Amy Adams for American Hustle wins. Amy Adams, best performance in American Hustle. She's fantastic. Um, Beats out Julie Delpy for Before Midnight, Greta Gerwig for Francis Ha, and Julie Louis-Dreyfus in Enough Said, which is like the indie spirit lineup of my dreams happening at the Globes. It was so weird. This is like one of the Globes that we use as the good example when people want to dunk on the Globes. And we're like, but they nominated Greta Gerwig for Francis Ha. For Francis Ha. When when the indie spirits did not. That yeah. to me is the greatest piece of like what the fuck award season trivia ever is the Globes nominated Greta Gerwig for Francis Ha, but the indie spirits did not. Um, and then also to remind you that we are still the Globes. Meryl Streep for August Osage County. So in comedy or musical. That is some weird jockeying positioning for me though i mean i think that script is really funny it's not as much in the movie as it was on the stage but that is wild to me that never i guess okay i never have seen august osage county on the stage i think it was less of a leap for me to buy that as a comedy buy that movie as a comedy than people who had seen that on the stage is that? Uh, am, am I, I crazy? mean, it's just way funnier on the stage. Like, it just has a better like sense of comedic timing, whereas like the movie's just kind of people yelling at each other. But is that just part and parcel of the stage production being better? I mean, probably because I mean the script is intentionally funny, and I just right. don't think the movie gets the laughs, and half the times doesn't try for the laugh. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, so Secret Life of Walter Mitty completely shut out of. The Golden Globe nominations. It does its biggest sort of feather in its cap for award season that year was it made it has the, the two most predictable awards precursors for this kind of movie. Wait, what was the other one? Uh, the AARP movies for grown ups awards. Oh, right. Okay, so you can talk about that. I want to talk about the NBR though for a second. National Board yes. of Review top ten ends up uh, giving one of its many like coveted slots to The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And I find it fascinating that uh, in this era of Best Picture at the Oscars being up to 10 movies, that you would think it would invite the National Board of Review to be even more in step with... That it would have fewer opportunities to sort of have these left-field flyer uh, movies end up in their top 10, but... It is what I love about National Board of Review is that they will go their own way. And sometimes it's for really bad movies. But you know what? I like, listen, I don't think all, you know, fun personalities have to be good. And I think the fact that the the character of the National Board of Review is that it will throw you a bucket list in their top ten every once in a while. Which they did mm-hmm. in 2007, the bucket list, one of the top ten movies of the year, according to the <laughs> National Board of Review. We will eventually do a bucket list episode. So I made a game for you, Chris, if you would like to Uh-oh. participate. I would love to. I managed to, I put through together some movies that were National Board of Review top ten movie designations for films that like fully did not 
have a place in that year's award season discussion beyond that, right? They yes. were like that 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 this was its one and only. And I did our favorite thing, which is I assembled plot keywords for them. And I'm gonna have you guess from plot the keywords. Movie that was in the National Board of Review top ten. I'll give you the year and then you can guess from the plot keywords. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Yes. All right, we're gonna start in two thousand nine, the first year of the Oscar top ten. Your keywords are True love, brother-sister relationship, musical sequence in non-musical work, karaoke, 2009, 2009. karaoke, despair, (laughs) split screen, voiceover narration, manic pixie dream girl, 500 Days of Summer. 500 Days of Summer. I knew you'd get it by a man, Pixie Dream Girl. Um, si- oh, right. Chloe Moretz. Chloe Moretz. Is movie. It's Joseph Gordon Levitt's sister. Uh, the other two keywords were Bluebird of Happiness and parentheses in title. Oi. Terrible right. movie. We move on to 2010. I'm just going to do these in sequential order. It might give you a little bit of a boost, but you know what? That's fine. I'll um, take it. 2010. Near Death Experience. Brother brother relationship. Slicing fruit. Slicing fruit. I know. Fantasy sequence. Hopefully not of slicing fruit, in other words, or else get better um, fantasies. Um, reference to David Copperfield, the novel. Hit by a car. The uh-huh. year 2004. Psychic. Death of twin. And tsunami. Here after yeah. that terrible, of course I can't remember anything that happens in that dreadful. Still movie. have never seen hereafter. Alright. Um, that was a visual effects nominee, yes, so we can't ever talk about that movie, thank God. Well, unless we pull the trigger on uh, uh, yes, Patreon, yes, I do. That, would be, that would be a very good exceptions episode. Okay, next I one. I could be wrong that it got that nomination, but I think it did. No, you're right, it did. It definitely did. Um, 2010, again. Mental Asylum. Plot- Shutter Island. Yes! <laughs> Good job. Plot twist. Year 1954. U.S. Marshal. Heavy Smoker. Distrust of Doctors. Cave. Boston, Massachusetts. Seaside Cliff. And Talking with Dead Wife. Alright. <laughs> Next one. Um, uh, wait, what year is this one? I think this also might be 2010. No. Oh, no. We're moving ahead to 2012. Uh Oh. All right. Well done in 2011, National Board of Review. Well, 2011, some of the weird ones in 2011, like J. Edgar, which we talked about, Ides of March, which is a screenplay nominee, even though Ides of March does feel like it doesn't exist. Um, Drive, which doesn't quite feel like it fulfills the brief here. Harry Potter, which whatever. Um, Anyway, moving ahead to 2012. Propaganda. Pennsylvania. Corporate Greed. Twist ending, natural gas, school teacher, psychological fracking movie. Yes, the fracking movie. Jesus, can you remember the title? Called again. The last time we had this as an answer and a thing, you couldn't remember the title of it. (laughs) I'm going to keep going until you can get the title. Psychological manipulation, environmental group, 
bribe and fracking. It's <laughs> a Gus Van Sant. It's movie. Gus Van Sant. Um, mm, mm. John Krasinski. Uh, Promised Land. Promised, Promised Land. Land. Matt Damon. Francis McDormand. Frickin Rosemary DeWitt. Yes. Frickin' fracking movie. Also 2012. Time travel. Dismemberment. Looper. Looper. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. The, the years definitely make this a lot easier. Yeah. Looper's actually a really cool call by the National Board of Review. Good job, yeah. guys. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe stop giving you the years then. Um, oh. Okay. <laughs> Give you the years. Crime Boss. Cyberpunk. Held at gunpoint. Younger version of character. On the run. Falling downstairs. Cornfield. And the year 2044. Looper. All right. Next one. Also 2012. 2012 was a... They were on one that year. Um, Uh-oh. Gay Friend. First kiss. Traffic tunnel. Uh, ba 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 ba. Perks of being a wallflower. Perks of being a wallflower. That's a good little nomination. Good for you, NBR. Yeah. High school dance. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Suicide attempt. Based on a YA novel. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Child molestation. And infinity. And in this moment, I swear. We are infinite. Okay. 2013. Child abduction. Police year detective. What's that? Oh, 2013. I said that. Yes, the year we're talking about. A child. Oh, I see. Yes, the year The year of the secret life of Walter Mitty. Yes. Child abduction. Police detective. Vigilante justice. Prisoners. Prisoners. Very good. Good movie. That movie is a lot. Denny Villeneuve. Yep. Rain. Tied to a chair. Recreational vehicle. Red herring. Race Against Time, Bound and Gagged, and Mother-Son Relationship. Prisoners. Sure. 20, moving on to, I believe this is, yes, 2014. 2014, Plane Crash, Emaciation, Crying uh, Man, C. C? World, like S-E-A, C. Uh, World uh. War Two. Barefoot Male, that's for all the... Porn SEOs out there. Unbroken. Unbroken. Yes. After barefoot male comes sunburn. I can't get my words out today. Great white shark. Yeah, you sound like that Sherry O'Terry character where she's uh, she's <laughs> yelling at people in the other yards in the neighborhood. She's like, bop, 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 bop. <laughs> simmer down. Okay. Um, Japanese prison camp, 1936 Olympics. Unbroken. All right. Next one comes from twenty. 16. 2015, by the way, we skipped over because mostly it was your biggest outliers there were Creed, um, Sicario, and Straight Outta Compton, which all were in the conversation pretty much most of that year. Yeah. Ahead to 2016 we go. Explosion. Based on a true story. Watching television. Rooftop. This has got to be a Clint Eastwood movie. American Flag. Panic, media coverage. Uh, Sully. Nope. Interrogator. Interrogator. Hostage. Terrorist attack. What am I not getting? Uh, mm, there's an eleventh one. Not Sully. Wasn't Sully that year? Okay. Not Sully. Oh, it's not a terrorist. You're you're not you're not fully in the wrong. You're not totally up the wrong tree on that. But it is not Sully. Uh, mm. But it's also not Clint Eastwood. I will say, don't don't try to right, 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 right. Give me the last few again. Um, American flag, panic, 
media coverage, interrogator, hostage, terrorist attack. Actually, instead of hostage, why don't I give you Boston? Oh, is it the Boston bombing movie, the Peter Berg one that yes. was like absolutely not? Yeah. Do you remember the title? Uh, Patriots Day. Patriots Day. Yes. Yes, no. indeed. Patriots Day, a National Board of Review choice. All right. This next one is also 2016. Hotel okay. Hotel Room. Self Doubt. Is this Sully? This is Sully. <laughs> okay. <laughs> character name in t- character name as title. Near death experience. Bird. Birds. Whoa. Hudson River. Scuba diver. Title spoken by character. Simulation and Teterboro, New Jersey. Blech. Yeah. All right. Last one. This one is a 2017 film. Flaky woman. Environmental consciousness, prosthetic leg, futuristic city, time jump, scientific conference. It's the downsizing, right? It's downsizing, yes. Jesus. Omaha, Nebraska, shaving someone's body hair, Vietnamese in America, and tunnel. Downsizing. Yeah, downsizing. guys. Good job for that game, by the way. Well done, Chris. You did very well. I I am a connoisseur of National Border for View. You really could have tortured me and done some of the fully random titles that they chose in, like, the mid-2000s. Mid-2000s is is interesting, too. Which is kind of our bread and butter. I I reserve the right to do those in a different game um, later on. That's why I wanted to, like, really... um, uh, concentrate my choices here, but like, yeah, Kite Runner is in that run. Defiance is in that run. Um, there's some real, there's some real wild ones there. Rabbit Proof Fence. Yeah, Thirteen Conversations yeah, about one thing. There's a lot. What? Oh, okay, if we have to take a leap of what the most random National Board of Review nominee will be this year, what would your money be on? Oh, that's a good one. Um, they didn't really have a random one last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Right. I mean, would two popes count as random, or maybe not? Is it? Is no, that would be a great call. Um, All right, Chris, let's do yes. something crazy. Let's predict National Board Review Top 10 right now. <laughs> let's go on the record for it right now. All right? I do have a list, and I have a crazy title that I will just say that... I, I will go for this crazy call, but like, okay. it's... You read your top ten first in its entirety, starting with your crazy call. Or, like, ending with your crazy call. Uh, okay, I will end with my crazy call. Okay. Um, I, my National Board of Review top ten predictions, and also keeping in mind sometimes they pick a best film of the year and then do... A ten full more. ten, so it's like yeah. eleven movies. Oh, sometimes they uh, like wildly cheat. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah, I'll just say off the bat, I my guess for the eleventh will be Parasite because they the National Board of Review. Now that they do like uh, or not now, they've always done it. The like top five foreign films, top five or Indie top films. ten independent yep. films. Yeah, that's like, why Parasite's not I don't on my think list Parasite for that be reason. In their top ten. Yeah. I think Parasite and The Farewell are both going to be on their foreign language list, and or The Farewell will be on their independent. And I think um, like The Report and Uncut Gems and Waves; those are all like candidates for their independent list yeah 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 yeah. um okay so the top 10 that i have i will save my crazy call for last um i'm saying a hidden life terrence malick film bombshell 1917 once upon a time in hollywood 
Marriage Story, The Irishman, Richard Jewell, Jojo Rabbit, and Ford v. Ferrari. Okay. Uh, so Richard Jewell is not the crazy one? Uh, oh, no. My crazy one is the Aeronauts. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, man, if anybody's going to go for that movie, it's going to be them. That would be the greatest thing to ever happen. All right, when this happens, everybody can say that I said it first. All right. Um, I hadn't even considered either A Hidden Life or Richard Jewell, so, like, good on you. And, of course, they are such suckers for Clint Eastwood. Like, Richard Jewell is absolutely the right call. Yeah. To the point where... I mean, lately they have not been as much of a sucker for uh... Clint Eastwood, but I'm calling it on this one. That's a good one. Wait, now I'm lopping off one of mine to do that, because yes. All right. The biggest one that I essentially left off, and, like, I don't... People seem to think that there might be weakness for this movie, and I think it's probably fine. Um, I didn't predict A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Neither did I. I'm really worried about that movie. I love that, that movie That, to me, so much. says, like, they will give it an acting prize, like Tom Hanks, or, like, a screenplay prize, based on what their taste is for, like, those type of categories, and, like, I could imagine it, you know? I think they'll find a way to throw it something. I think they'll find a way to throw Hustlers something, but I don't think they're going to nominate Hustlers either. All right. My thing is, I think the ones that are totally safe are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Marriage Story, Irishman, Jojo Rabbit. I would be very surprised if any one of those four doesn't make it. After that, um, 1917, Bombshell, Little Women. Yeah, I should have predicted that. I think you've convinced me on Richard Jewell. And then my two sort of, like, flyers... Are, I mentioned two popes, two popes, and us. I wonder if they'll go for us. I think they usually pull something from the beginning of the year. Yeah. And I think us is a good candidate for that. I think, as I said, Parasite and The Farewell will be on their foreign language list, along with, like, whatever, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and... I mean, they very well could relegate something like Jojo Rabbit or Marriage Story to their independent films list. They I could. don't think they will. I don't will, think they will. But I think, here's, here's my big maybe, is look out for either, if not both of, which would be absolutely insane if it's both, because it's taking one-fifth of your list away, um, Joker and Avengers Endgame. And I know they're not campaigning. Not Endgame. I would say maybe I should have predicted Joker. Um, who knows? They could pick Cats. I would fucking love it if they picked Cats. <laughs> what if it's their best picture? God, what if Joker's their best picture? I don't think it will be their best picture, but it would not surprise me. This is the one, I mean, they they put... They um, also go in for Warner Brothers a lot. Yeah, they do. They do. So, they all right. Do. We'll see. L- listeners, um, hold our feet to the fire when the National Board of Review nominations come out, and uh, we'll see which one of and us... And the Aeronauts wins their best picture. <laughs> Very well. Very good. Um, anything else to close the book on um, Secret Life of Walter Mitty? I did make a note that they won They won the Location Managers Guild Award for How 2013 beating out American Hustle, which used such locations as Jennifer Lawrence's character's kitchen. Um, <laughs> Nebraska, which used such locations as Nebraska. June Squibb's kitchen. <laughs> Philomania, which, sure, 
lots of English places. Good, nice. I can't like think of one particular location in Philomena that like is the not the nunnery. Out. Sure, yeah. But also, you're in England. Like, throw a fucking stone, man. You're going to find a nunnery. Um, <laughs> Fruitvale Station was the other nominee. So, yeah. Yeah, Secret Life of Walter Mitty had a little bit of an advantage on all of those movies. So You know, they have Iceland, Greenland, the ocean. I'm trying to think of, like, other movies that you're like, I don't know, it feels like an odd, um, an odd selection of, of nominees for that particular category i'm trying to think of like the other movies that year that i might have slotted in ahead of it but like gravity for space i was gonna say gravity for space and uh captain phillips for the sea gravity Uh, for space (laughs) plaster that on a t-shirt gravity for space yeah yeah um nebraska for nebraska for nebraska (laughs) gravity for space (laughs) i would have nominated uh before midnight for finding that greek um oh my god those greek locations like that's that to me is something that i would have would have rathered there for sure but still there who is to say there who is to say all right gone (laughs) <laughs> um, I would also like to throw in, if you want another strange lineup of movies, I couldn't even challenge you to do this because this lineup is so insane. The AARP Movie for Grownups Awards, which of course they were an awards body that nominated Secret Life of Walter Mitty for something. They nominated it for Best Comedy um, opposite the winner, The Way Way Back, a movie we could talk about. Um, Last Vegas, wow. Don John... Wow. And this movie... Remember that, the Don John Oscar buzz that accumulated uh, yeah. for Scarlett Johansson for a while? Good Scarlett Johansson performance. I mean, good Julianne Moore performance, but what the hell is that movie? When Scarlett Johansson ultimately gets nominated this movie, and I say that knowing I full well could be cursing her because she does have a split vote problem this year, where all of a sudden she's going to be in lead for Marriage Story and supporting yeah. for Jojo Rabbit, and there is always. I think an out- they could easily drop the whole Jojo thing. Like, I, don't I know. think she's the best thing about that movie. I think. See, I think Jojo Rabbit is going to be. My theory, as of right now, as of we were recording this on Sunday, October twenty seventh, Jojo Rabbit is going to be the villain of this year's Oscar season, and it's going to do so much better because of that. I think it's going to get a lot of the same like, hackles up that, that yeah. they were for Green Book last year. I think there's going to be... I think ultimately you can feel people are are, are searching around for what's the villain movie of this year because we have to fucking have one now because it's 2019 and we can't just choose between things we like. We have to have something that represents everything that's bad. And apparently Jojo Rabbit is... Like, I can feel it. You can feel people, like, shaking Jojo Rabbit just, like, sucks. Like, that's that's why it's the villain to me, is, like, if it gets ahead when it's, like, this, like, lame duck movie. See, but this is what I'm talking about, though. Because if I had talked to you two months ago, or, like, a month and a half ago, and you saw uh-huh. this in Toronto, I don't think you would have said it sucks. No, I said it sucked at the time. All right. I'm just, I mean, th- I'm just I've, saying. I can yeah. feel there's, 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 there's something in the air with this movie that, like, I think it's being fitted for a black hat in certain circles, and I think that's only going to consolidate the support behind it. And I think you could end up seeing that movie win Best Picture in a sort of a green book fit of um, yeah, uh, it's easy lessons that don't really stack up to scrutiny. It's yeah. 
it's very much like that. But anyway, um, I think with two categories, the, you can always cancel yourself out. So, Scarlet... Can I also say this final AARP movie for Grown Up nominee for Best Comedy that, like, we joke about, like, you know, there, it's all in the lexicon of, like, movies that don't exist. Like, that's a phrase that not only we use, other people use it as well. Um, this movie... I think the AARP is, like, owning us somehow, because this is a movie called Mental. It's directed by PJ Hogan, who famously gave us the masterpieces Muriel's Wedding and My Best Friend's Wedding, but this is a reuniting with his Muriel's Wedding lead actress. It stars Tony Collette and Anthony LaPaglia. If you look at the poster for this movie, I don't know what's happening here but AARP apparently saw this movie good for them good for them mental directed by PJ Hogan are we ready to play the IMDB game yes why don't you say what that is all right so the IMDB game we end all of our episodes with this where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDB says they are most known for if any of those titles are television or voiceover work we mention that up front in effort of fairness and after two wrong guesses we get the remaining titles release years as a clue if that's not enough it just becomes a free-for-all of hints and that is the IMDb game. Indeed. Do you want to give or get? Um, I will get first okay. this time. I have chosen Matt Dillon for you. What? Indeed. What got you to Matt Dillon? Uh, I don't want to say. Uh-oh. All right. So, Matt Dillon, Crash. Yes. One of them is Crash. <sighs> Um, hmm, you don't want to say, so I wonder if that is a hint. Um, uh, something about Mary? Yes, correct. Okay. See, Matt Dillon is hard to even remember what movies he's in. Um, I guess because it's like crashes at the top. Wild things? No, one strike. Okay. Um, to die for? No, two strikes. All right. So All right. your missing years are 1989 and 2018. 2018 is the Lars von Trier serial killer movie, yep. um, The House That Jack Built. Correct. 89 is that drugstore cowboy. Yes. Interesting. Done. Congratulations. Hurrah. Hurrah. So what was the thing about Matt Dillon? Uh, something about Mary, because Ben Stiller. Oh, there. right. Right, 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 right. Interesting. All right, so for you, I have chosen, I have gone to that year's acting nominees. You mentioned how the um, Golden Globes comedy lineup could have been conceivably the Oscar Best Actor lineup. However, this one was an a uh, drama nominee at Golden Globes. I am talking about Chiwetel Ejiofor. Oh boy. Okay. Um. Well, the one he was nominated for, Twelve Years a Slave. It's got to be one of them. Yes. All right. Uh, kinky Boots. No. That's so stupid. Yeah, that's weird. Um. Serenity. Yes. Right, Serenity. The, the Firefly movie. Serenity. Okay, that was the first thing I remember noticing him in. Um, uh, Doctor Strange? No. Weird. Okay. 
All right, so that's two wrong guesses. You have two remaining titles. First is in 2002, and the second is 2009. Huh. 2002, 2009. God, 2002. Is that, um... This 2002 title to make sure that it actually came out in 2002... I was no, say. it came out in it came out in the U.S. in '03. Love Actually. No. Wow. <sighs> yeah, it was a summer release. It is an Oscar nominee. Originally, it was at the Fall Festivals in 2002. Okay, and then the he's other the lead year... of this movie, but maybe you forget that he's in it because, like, this movie was advertised solely on the actress that is the huh. second lead. It's got to be a British thing, because he didn't really cross over until... It is a British thing. It was a screenplay nominee. Oh, it's um, Dirty Pretty Things. Dirty Pretty Things, yes. Okay, so 2009. Uh, Talk about a very distinct trailer for this movie. 2009. Yes. I've never seen this movie, but I know that it's supposed to be ridiculous. Very distinct trailer. It is also a director who is known for making this type of movies, and we have done an episode when this director failed miserably to make a different kind of movie. Um, oh, oh, um, it's the Roland Emmerich movie, 2012. 2012. 2012. Yeah, oh, talk about God. also, I believe, the Himalayas, where the trailer is just yeah, that a plane flood coming over the Himalayas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that pl- that plane's trying to take off on, I think, the runway that is, like, crumbling into lava or something like that. Yeah. Crazy. Well, What the hell? Yeah. Uh, good IMDb game! Yay! Yes, absolutely. We did it. Uh, that is our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? I, too, am on Twitter at ChrisVFile. That's F-E-I-L. You can also find me on Letterboxd under the same name, and I write regularly for the film experience. Yay! I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the exact same way. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with visibility on Apple Podcasts, so quit shazamming the latest Monsters and Men song on the soundtrack and write something nice about us. Thank you. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Bye! Bye. Bye.